Good morning. Glad to be with you this morning. I want to introduce myself. My name is Phil Herndon. I'm one of the elders here at the church. Been serving on that team for many years now, and glad to be back together with you. I want to take a few minutes, first of all, though, to tell you how much, how grateful I am on behalf of my wife Sheila. After her major surgery, just how your your grace and your bountiful provision of food for us. It's kind of like uh, kind of like Santa food. I'll go out of my front porch, open up the cooler, and food just shows up. It's weird. It's like like socks when I got married. It shows up in the drawer magically, and it's you know I don't know how they got there, but. I uh, just want to thank you so much for uh, just bountiful supply and your love for us and cards and texts and calls. And she's progressing beautifully, uh, medically at least. It could be up to a year till she's really back 100%, but it's been a couple of months out and she's real. We are grateful for how she's healing uh, physically. So thank you so much. We are certainly not underfed uh, because of you and under encouraged. So thank you so much, uh, family, for, for doing that with us. Let's dive back into to 1 Thessalonians. We just got underway after, was it, Monty, about 24 years in Luke. We uh, got, through, got done with that book, and now we're on to 1 Thessalonians, Paul's very early letter in the New Testament to the church at Thessalonica. There are kind of two ways of looking at the text for today. One is kind of a narrow angle camera view. Paul is defending his ministry. Back in Acts 17, Monty took us there the first week of the series and you know really had a big row uh, that happened as a result of Paul's missionary visit there the first time in Thessalonica. They had a big riot and people were, were wanting to throw him out of town and mistreating him. And so he is now taking these first 12 verses or so and defending his ministry, reestablishing his authority as an apostle to do his ministry. But then if we widen out the camera angle just a little bit, let me show you a flow. Go back up to chapter 1. And let's uh, pay attention mostly to, to verses 4 through 7. Let's read those. Chapter 1, verse 4. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. So Paul is saying, Paul, uh, Silvanus, Timothy, and I, we know you. For we know, brother, that he's chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you. So we know who you are and you know who who we are, what kind of men we prove to be. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. So Paul is going to continue in chapter 2 what he began to say in chapter 1. He is defending his ministry, but in a wider view, he's also saying, okay, you became imitators of what we offered to you. And now I want to show you, as we call you into further ministry here in Thessalonica, this is the life you need to be leading. This is the way in which you need to be leading where you've been given leadership. So great application for us in the body as we go out outside the body to, to live our lives out, outside of here. So look at verse 10. As you know, the, the chapter breaks really didn't come in until about the 1200s, and really that was in process till through the 1500s where people added chapter breaks and verse breaks. So if you read the flow, look at verse 10 in chapter 1. Paul says, And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come, for you yourselves know, brother. So if you just continue the thought as chapter 2 begins, as if there's not a chapter break there, Paul's not changing the subject. He's continuing, and you could really kind of call this how to wait and work well as we wait on Christ. So Establish a little structure here. How many of you know 
or are one of those obnoxious Peloton riders. Anybody here familiar with them? Well, if you don't have a Peloton rider in your life, I'm your guy. Because I'm one of those obnoxious people who talks about Peloton all the time. One thing they do that drives me crazy but is also helpful, when you get on that thing and start to get ready for the ride, the instructor very gleefully and joyfully, they never even break a sweat on the thing, uh, they tell you, okay, here's how this ride's going to go. We're going to do three minutes of this and five minutes of that and seven minutes of this. They kind of tell you what torture is ahead. Uh, I hope this isn't torture for you, but let's do kind of the same thing where we're, where we're headed today. So we're going to take three sections of the first 12 verses of chapter 2. First, we're going to look at verses 1 through 6. It's going to be called inside out. We're going to use the, the human body as kind of a metaphor to kind of structure what chapter 2, the first 12 verses, are talking to us about. And that's Paul's emotional life that comes from inside of him, outside to the believers. Then verses 7 and 8 really form the core of what Paul is saying in these first 12 verses. So that's the core work. And then the last three, uh, last four verses, 9 through 12, is how to live out the teaching in body life. So that's going to be the structure. Three sections, uh, 1 through 6, 7 through 8, and then 9 through 12. So let's look first section as we started in verse 10 of chapter 1 flowing into verse 1 of chapter 2. For you yourselves know brothers that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi as you know we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impunity or impurity of any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. So those first six verses, Paul is outlining how he has lived, how they have lived among them, this kind of inside-out kind of way. If you remember the Pixar movie, a few years ago, Inside Out, it was a movie about a, a girl named Riley who was 11 years old who moved from Minnesota to San Francisco. And the whole gist of the movie was that it is necessary to not just have these emotions, but to also express them congruently, to have internal experience and to bring that out as her way of grieving and getting used to a, to a new place. And so that's kind of what Paul is doing, doing here. We need this experience and the expression of, emo, of our emotional lives and not just the so-called positive ones. We need to, Paul, Paul is not being overly positive here. He's saying, first of all, in the midst of great, great chaos. And he says he, he spoke with boldness. If you look at the word boldness, it really has to do with making a proclamation earnestly, regardless of the circumstances. It's, it's the opposite of timidity. If you look over at 2 Timothy, it's a very famous verse, verse 7, for God gave us uh, for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. If you look at the word fear in that verse, in that cross-reference, that means timidity. And it really is a, it's a kind of a harsh word. It means cowardice. And cowardice means to disappear when things get tough. And so Paul is saying, from our insides, we were afraid in the midst of conflict. We are being crushed and perplexed, he says in 2 Corinthians but we did not despair. We continue to speak earnestly, to speak truthfully, to bring this internal truth out to you in the midst of great conflict. It was, passion can be an overused word, but really it speaks to what passion is. The Pat's passion comes from a Latin word, which simply means to endure suffering. 
So Paul said, even in the midst of enduring suffering, we brought out to you, we proclaimed the gospel boldly, not with timidity, not with cowardice. We didn't disappear. So, so we can throw around that word lightly, the word passion. But Paul is saying, look, Timothy and Sylvanus and I, when it got tough, we did not stop telling the truth. We did not stop speaking from in here out to here with what the truth was in the, in the midst of great conflict in Philippi and in Thessalonica both. Everywhere we went, Paul said, just, things just got stirred up, but we continued to speak the truth. And it could even refer back up, if you look up at verse 3 in chapter 1, Paul describes them as having a labor of love. He didn't say a, a vacation of love, a golf outing of love, a rest of love. He said a labor of love. I, we see... Paul said, we see y'all, we see you in Thessalonica doing what we're doing here, like you're imitators of us. You are doing a labor of love. It's work. And in the midst of great conflict and great opposition, you continue to speak the truth. Bring your insides out. In verse 3, he goes further to describe how they lived and how we are to live, Thessalonians are to live, for our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive Talked about boldness in verse 2. He's talking about integrity here in verse 3. We have a saying here that what you see is what you get, and that's integrity. The back looks like the front. The outsides match the insides. It's called being integrated. So Paul is saying that we didn't do any, we didn't have anything going on that you didn't know about. We didn't have some secret life over here that you didn't know about, and we say one thing and we act another way. Paul said we acted with integrity, with no attempt whatsoever to deceive. And in verses 4 and 5, he said, we'll I'll read through those again. Verse 4, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please men, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. So boldness in verse 2, integrity in verse 3. In verses 4 and 5, he did it with clarity. It is really, really scary sometimes to be clear about what we're saying. It's so easy to look outside and, and meter out what I say with what your face looks like. There's this word called scarcity and codependency. They, those words go together. If you think about uh, financial scarcity, what that creates with someone, someone living in great financial scarcity will we'll oftentimes just scramble around and do whatever they can do to survive, scrapping things together, whether it be food or shelter or clothing. When a person comes from a background of emotional scarcity, the emotional world can take on a, a look a lot like that. We can scavenge around for emotional scraps. We can do whatever we have to do to survive emotionally. We can just barely survive out of looking out here and seeing what I have to do to make sure I don't get abandoned. And Paul is saying, regardless of threat, Regardless of what was going on, we were going to continue to be clear. We're going to have clarity. We're not going to practice emotional or spiritual uh, poverty or scarcity. We're not going to live from a scarcity mindset. We're going to recognize that God has provided what we need. And you and the body of Christ, we provide each other what we need. I don't have to scavenge around emotionally with scarce resources in order to be able to continue to be very, very, very clear with what I say. So clarity. And then uh, Proverbs 29.5, just a couple of places in the Old Testament where flattery is addressed. 29.5 says, a man who flatters his neighbor is spreading a net for his steps. In the next chapter of Proverbs 26, verse 28, says a flattering mouth works ruin. It is so easy to use flattery 
or to curry favor or to mold what people believe about me, to be image management. And Paul said, I'm not going to manage my image. We didn't manage our image among you. We didn't look out here and live outside in. We continued to live inside out with boldness and with integrity and with clarity. What we say is what we mean, and what we mean is what we say. I'm going to bring what's in here outside to you, regardless of what your face looks like. And that is so scary to do that, uh, to live in such a way that, to, that but wherever we come from emotionally to be so scarce, I'm so afraid of being abandoned again emotionally that I do and say whatever I have to do and say to make sure you stay with me. And Paul said, we want you to stay with us. We desire your partnership in ministry. We will continue to be clear about what is true. Growing increasingly difficult in society we live in. So verse 6. Verse 6 in this, sec- in this section. Nor do we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. Paul's talking about humility there. He's saying it's so intoxicating it's so powerful to receive credit from outside in. It's so powerful to, to do things that seeks glory from people to get applause and to get approval. Uh, there's a, a Herschel Hobbes, a commentator, made a comment about the early church. He said the early church, including them, had little of the world's resources and none of its applause. So Paul's saying it's so easy to reach for the power, getting glory from people, of getting approval from people, we didn't do that. We continued to be bold and to have integrity and to be clear and to live in humility, to recognize we have limitation and uh, to continue telling the truth anyways. Very, very intoxicating. It's like salt water, like all this water around, and we're really, really, really thirsty. Uh, our brains will, over, will, will uh, over, overdo what logic says, and we'll drink salt water to our deaths. That's a whole lot like approval. Getting glory from people is very intoxicating, very tempting to make myself okay with that. And Paul said, we, we didn't do that. We continue to tell the truth clearly uh, in your midst. So let's kind of wrap this, kind of integrate these, these three things together. Think about three words in verses 1 through 6. They all start with M. Paul said his message, that's content. Paul said the content, what we said, is true. Verse 2 says it's the gospel of God. Can't get more true than anything being of God. So, so, so Paul says the content, the message is true. Verses 4 through 6, he talks about his methods, the process or the how. How we did it um, was clear. We did it with clarity. And then in between the two in verse 3 are motives, and the motive is pure. So the what is true, that's content. The how is clear. That's the process, how we're doing it. And in between those two is a thing called motives. Our motives were pure. We had integrity. Let me give an integrity test, by the way. Here's an integrity test. Before you do something or before you say something or before you don't say something or don't do something, ask this question. What is this for? What am I saying this for? What am I doing this for? What am I not doing this for? not saying this for. Is it to curry favor? Is it to gain power? Is it to flatter someone? Is it to make sure I can manipulate things in just a certain way to get a particular outcome? That's a real integrity test for for us. I've told guys for years and told the guy in the mirror for years, pay attention to what you're saying and doing and what is it for, which is more important than a why question. Why am I doing it? But what is it for? What am I after by saying this? And Paul is saying, I'm after one thing. I'm after telling the truth and the glory of God in it. 
and uh, letting you decide what you're going to do. And, and people in recovery circles will know that recovery itself is a series of invitations to take or leave. And like We offer things to the world, and then we step back and allow the world to take it or, or leave it. And if we would practice those three things in relationship, if we would practice asking ourselves that question, what am I saying this or doing this for? And is my message true? Are my methods clear and are my motives pure? Is what I'm saying true? Is how I'm saying it gracious? And is where it's coming from with integrity? We do those things. Marriages, friendships in the body of Christ, partnerships, businesses. I think it might be an amazing difference. As Paul is telling them, we know you. We know how you're in a labor of love and you know us. And this is what we came with and what, this is what you've been imitating. We ask you to continue. So we transition to verses 7 and 8. This really forms the core of what Paul is talking about, about, about uh, life in the body. But the core is this, verse 7, verses 7 and 8. But we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very, very dear to us. So the backdrop is probably the tenderest relational picture there is, a, a, a nursing mother nursing a baby. A few things more nurturing than that. And Paul is painting this picture of motherhood of an infant as a symbol of tenderness. Paul is saying, this is how we came to you. We came to you with tenderness like a mom uh, nur- nursing her baby. So Paul's using that as a symbol. That doesn't mean, men, that we, we're not to ever practice tenderness and, and gentleness. One of my closest friends tells a story. Uh, my friend became a, a D1 athlete, and when he was in early high school, he was about ready to give up on the sport. And a man, a coach, came up to him and just put his arm around him and pulled him close to him and said, Look, I know you can do this. I've been watching you. I care about you. I'm with you. I'm on your side in your corner. You keep going. And that guy would tell you today that his athletic success and much of his other kinds of success came from that 15-second interchange with a man being gentle and tender with him, a coach of all people being, being tender with him. So the, this backdrop of tenderness um, sets up really verse 7 beautifully. Paul says, we were gentle among you. It's only, that word gentle is only used two times in the New Testament, by the way, here. And in 2 Timothy 2.24, it simply means kindness. It means to show respect and compassion and patience, loyalty, to show uh, tolerance of imperfections. You boil all those down into really this kind of gentleness provides a place, uh, provides a need for security. Human beings, we have a need for security. Here's all security is. Security simply means that I can struggle out loud and you will stay with me. I can struggle openly and you'll remain with me. You'll be tolerant of my imperfections. You'll confront me, gently confront me, bump me back between the lines. You will be loyal to me. You will be tender and you will be kind to me and you will let me struggle with you. So Paul said in verse 7, Paul saying, look, you can struggle with us. We were tender among you. We were gentle. We were kind and loyal to you. Verse 8 is really a beautiful uh, phrase. We were affectionately desirous of you. This is a word that expresses a strong internal feeling, back to inside out. It's a strong internal feeling that is intensified by a strong sense of inner attachment. 
And this word attachment, the more scientists learn about brain function, this word attachment is really, really, really huge. Uh, how we attach earlier in life has so much to do with how we attach later in life, how we're able to tolerate our own emotional, uh, our own feelings, how we're able to tolerate relationship, how we're able to remain patient. Were we attached early on or were we not? And then Paul is saying, saying to them, we, were, we have an attachment to you emotionally. We care what happens to you. We want to stand with you when times get tough. We want to stand with you when times aren't necessarily tough. But attachment is what we know. Years ago, uh, doctors discovered that when babies are born, if you will put them skin to skin with that mother, that it makes a difference. If you put a mother's face looking at a newborn, that baby's brain will react differently than any other face in the world. How come? Because of attachment. Because of how God has made us to be in relationship. And so, you know, think of the faces that when you look at them or think of them, you immediately experience security and warmth and kindness. It's called attachment. This is a face that I look at, that I regulate off of, that regulates off of me, and we are attached to one another. Paul said we were affectionately desirous of you. We were attached to you, and we care about how you're living and about how you're doing. When we were among you, that's how we live, gentle and affectionate desire. And thirdly, he said, not only did we share the gospel with you, not only did we share the content with you, the truth with you, we shared our own selves. And that's the word suche, where we get our word psyche, where we get our word psychology. And so Paul is saying, we gave ourselves. He's not talking, but we didn't give just our thoughts. We didn't give just doctrine. We didn't give just information. We shared our feelings, our deepest thoughts, our desires, our passions, our imperfections, our loves, our hopes, our visions, our dreams. We, we gave that to you and asked you to do that with us. That's, a, that's called intimacy. You all probably, probably heard it before. Uh, the word intimacy can be thought of as, be, as meaning into me see. You see into me and I see into you. It's called intimacy, having emotional intimacy. And Paul is saying, look, we are the body of Christ. You are a local expression in Thessalonica. We're a local expression here at Fellowship Bible Church. And we gave ourselves to you. And so we share these things that, that are important, our passions and longings, our guilt and our fear and our desires and our dreams and our hopes and our struggles. Paul said, we, we gave that to you. So they were gentle with each other. They were emotionally attached to one another. And they were emotionally transparent. So Paul said, this is the core of life in the body. If you want to know what life in the body looks like, Paul said in Thessalonians, this is how we came to you. And this is how we want you to live with one another. And this is how relationships operate. We are gentle with one another. We're emotionally attached to one another. And we're emotionally transparent with one another. Back to uh, uh, Herschel Hobbes' comment about having none of the world's applause. We are the body of Christ. And we gentleness, attachment, and transparency. Paul said that's the core of how we were with you and how we desire you to be with one another. In verses 9 through 12, Paul ends this thought with uh, these verses, this, this kind of flow of thought. For you remember, brothers, our labor, brothers and sisters, our labor and toil. We work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses in God also how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you, and encourage you and charge you to walk in a 
manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So Paul changes from talking about a tender and nurturing mother to a father. So he bookends this thought with, with parents. And the father symbolizes another side uh, of the parental, parental picture. So he kind of focuses it down uh, to two words. He says to, to three, to exhort and to encourage. So exhort means to come alongside. It's where we get our word paraclete, which describes the work of the Holy Spirit, to come alongside. So exhorting is coming alongside. And allowing, equipping someone to approach problems, approach life with confidence. So exhortation says, I know you can do this. And as a matter of fact, you're not going to have to do this alone. I will do this with you. And back, back to when Sheila surgery, it was, a, it was an all-day affair that she underwent. And it was the, the COVID protocol at the hospital. And I received texts from many of you and, and uh, calls from some of you to say, man, if I could be there with you, I would. I wish I could be there with you. And so that was so encouraging to me, though you couldn't sit with me in the waiting room, knowing you were at home, at work, thinking and praying for us. It was exhorting, you were coming alongside and exhorting me. And then this other word, encouraging, Paul uses. It's kind of the soothing side of exhortation. It's this, I'm going to come alongside you and help you walk well. And I'm going to do that back to where we talked about earlier with gentleness and with tenderness. So what Paul's describing there, the, the therapy world came up with this phrase. And you're going to learn a, a therapy phrase today. It's called, use this at your next dinner party. It's called a support change continuum. Here's a support change continuum. It means part of, of a therapeutic relationship, us with one another, parents to children, children to parents, uh, husband to wife, wife to husband, people to people. Here's what support change continuum really means. On the one end is support. Yes, I know that must feel. A guy named Carl Rogers uh, produced a, a theory called Rogerian Theory. Pretty original, huh? Rogerian from Rogers. But that's what they called it. Person-centered therapy, it's called. And it's all support. Like, it's okay. I can see where that would be difficult. And it's very, very, very affirming and very encouraging and doesn't really do any confrontation. The other end of that continuum is called the change continuum, confrontation putting them back between the back between the lines. No, that's not that's not okay. Stop. Stop doing that. Do the, you know do the, this kind of the, the kind of the, the the side that says no, 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 no. Turn your shoulders and go this way. And so a, a healthy relationship runs across that continuum. So Paul is saying like a father support and change. The father says, "Look, I'm going to walk beside you, but there's a point of walking beside you." And here's the point. We exhorted you, encouraged you, and we charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So support is, yes, I'm with you, I'm walking with you, and the change into the continuum says, now, this is how you do it, and this is what I desire for you, and this is what I expect from you in the living out of this. So support and change, healthy relationships run across the gamut. Am I in relationships with people who support affirm, encourage me, and I'm in relationship with people that will stand in my way, confront me, and turn my shoulders the direction they need to be going. So Paul is saying the, the symbol of the nurturing mother, the symbol of the exhorting, encouraging father, put those together, what we uh, somewhere along the line talked about support change continuum. We run across that continuum with one another, supporting one another, encouraging one another, and then, and then standing in one another's way to create change in life. Paul says walk in a word, uh, in a manner that is worthy. 
So let's take a couple of minutes to integrate a lot of this information that Paul has kind of downloaded on the, on the Thessalonians and us. We have a, a symbol here, a diagram here. Why don't you guys put that on the, on the screen? It's over here too if you want to see it. This is called a portrait of a connected life. And you'll notice in the middle of that is the word, the gospel, the good news. If you go around the clock face at 12 o'clock, is this a focus on our relationship upward with God? And then going around clockwise, backward with our story, withward with the body, inward with our gifting, and outward with the mission. And so if you take this diagram that we've, we've used here for years to describe life in the body, and you incorporate that into what Paul is saying to the Thessalonians here. Paul is saying, look, concentrate on your relationship with him first. Pay attention to that. And as you grow from that central core, your upper relationship, go backward with your story. Paul did that in, in verse 2. Go back with your story. Paul said, this is where we came from to talk with you. And then, and then whipper with the body of Christ, and we're with gifting, and now we're with the mission. So, you know, we're, we're Westerners, and, and Westerners love nothing more than a chart. So, guys, put the chart up. we got a chart today. It's in your outline. Chart time. All right, so look at the top. We're going to walk through this a little bit of time. I want you to pay attention to look at the right-hand column first, far right-hand column. And if I ask a question of most people here, hey, do you want to be a person known that walks with others in the body and uses your giftedness in the body of Christ and goes outward on mission. Most people would say, you bet, it's exactly what I want. And if I said, do you want to be a person known that lives in surrender to God? Most people would say, I certainly do. And if I said, do you want to be a person of integrity? Most people would say, absolutely. And if I said, do you want to be known as someone who leads well? Most people would say, I sure do. Here's oftentimes what we're relegated to. When the answer is yes to those questions about those four territories, we often are relegated to, well, I better try harder, I better learn more, or I better be better. And so we're, we get in this spin, this spin cycle of I got to learn more, I got to do more, and I got to be better. We go and we try and try and try and try and try to create these outcomes. And this, this particular section of chapter 2 is a, a beautiful uh, picture of how we don't have to do that. Paul has outlined it for us beautifully. So I want to go through this. Chart, we're going to go down the columns first and then go across the rows. So hopefully something you can take with you to, to pay attention to. So upward with God. When we live upward with God, Paul said it in verse 2, when we're in relationship with him, it's going to be a struggle. It's going to be hard. Paul said, take it from me, both in Philippi and Thessalonica, it was rough. It was really rough. And when that happens, I'm going to have to deal with a lot of feelings. Paul said, in the midst of all of that, we continue to speak with passion. We continue to endure suffering on an emotional level. We endured it. And when that happens, it's going to be painful. That's called passion. But people who are willing to endure suffering, like Paul said to Thessalonians, can then live boldly, live with boldness. And as we go backward with our story, we have safe relationships. We tell the truth about that story and those feelings in it. We experience a growing and deepening intimacy because as I tell my story to safe people, you get to know me and I get to know you. And then, being loved deeply, I can then love deeply. And so we go across as I deal with feelings and tell the truth about them. When I'm vulnerable and telling the truth, then I can surrender the outcome to God. It's up to Him, not to me, to produce it. As I live with passion, I grow in intimacy 
have no secrets. You see into me, I see into you. That's called integrity. We get our word integer, like a whole number. Integrate. I'm an integrated person. I don't have one life over here and one life over here. I grow in integrity. And as I live boldly, boldly proclaiming, I can then love deeply, and then I can become someone who leads well. And Paul is saying, I'm leading you well because I've shared this with you. I know that you shared it with me. I'm asking you to share it with each other. So that's kind of a man-made chart. Um, so I don't want you to concentrate much on the chart as uh, what Paul has said to the Thessalonians and what he then by extension says to us. Are we living in this way in the body of Christ together? The central part of this, if you could go back to the portrait, guys, the central part of this chart and that portrait has to do with that black circle in the middle, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that upward relationship with him. Because if we're doing all the rest of this, Without the centrality of the gospel and a relationship with God, it's, it's really for nothing, ultimately. So ultimately, eternity is, is what's in balance here. So would you take just a few minutes as we begin to, to close here? You have just a few moments as you take a look, perhaps on your outline or uh, to the um, uh, portrait of a connected life. And given our text today, just begin with a concentration on your relationship upward with God. And then bring before him whatever that relationship is, what the, the state of that relationship is, and uh, ask him to draw your attention, either on that portrait or somewhere on this chart that we've created here to show you where you need to give some attention to this coming week. So let me give you a minute or two to do that as we, as we close. So, Father, these moments, I pray that as the attention is drawn to where you would direct and guide, I pray we would leave here today with a sense of recognition of what you've called us to in the body, a sense of recognition that the problems we have today are not new. They are as old, at least, as humanity. And uh, Paul addresses these things to the church in Thessalonica, and exhorting and encouraging them to continue living one in the body. I pray we would take these words today and use them uh, for your glory and for your honor as we live in the body with one another and go outward on mission as we leave here. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.